We look at the role of parents in sport and how important parents are in sport. But we also look at some of the things that parents might be doing that may be um, affecting children's enjoyment of sport and also affecting whether they stick around. There is a, a, a proportion of rental spectators or other adult spectators that potentially hostile and abusive and negative and really discouraging to children. And that's just the stuff they were seeing on the sideline. That doesn't include the stuff that might have been going on in the car ride home. The only way that kids can build that, I suppose, self-belief is if they do give it a try. And if they're on screens, then they're not building, you know, their own personal confidence for what they, they can do themselves. Parenting is tough. And sometimes getting parenting right feels even tougher. On one hand, decades of psychology research gives us proven ways to support our kids to be healthy, happy and confident. But on the other, how do you tap into that in the heat of those stressful parenting moments? CQ Uni psychology academic Dr Cassie Dittman is passionate about helping people develop tactics for positive parenting and doing it when they need it most. Violence in front of children. The ugly scenes unfolded on the weekend at an under-13 league game between Winner Manly and Logan Brothers. A life ban from rugby league is on the table for the perpetrators. QRL has appointed a task force to investigate. That could also lead to serious criminal charges. That's a report from earlier this year covering the growing problem of grown-ups behaving badly at kids' sporting events. Cassie is working alongside researchers at University of Queensland on a program for parents with kids playing junior rugby league. Time to talk about what being a positive parent in junior sport looks like. That's league great and dad, Sam Fiday, who's endorsing the program. And I'm Mary Bolling host of CQ University's Impact Research Podcast. In this episode, Dr. Cassie Dittman shares her insight for taking parenting theory into the real world and what works to help mums and dads make positive changes. My name is Dr. Cassie Dittman and here at Central Queensland University, I'm a lecturer in psychology, but I'm also the head of course for undergraduate psychology. So you have uh, taken a particular focus on sport in your psychology research and I guess especially uh, kids playing sport, which might seem like a rite of passage for a lot of Australians, but what do we know about how many kids are actually playing sport and whether or not they keep at it? Look, quite a large proportion of kids play sport and we see a lovely increase in participation, what we would say is, I suppose, organised physical activity from around the age of five when kids are starting to um, get to school and those sorts of things. Um, so, but what we do see is this lovely, I suppose, rise in participation in, in organised physical activity in sport up till about the age of nine to 11 years and that's where things hit a peak. But then we see particularly for girls quite a decline in involvement in physical activity um, into that early adolescent period. And there seems to be a number of reasons for that. I mean, when you ask young children or you ask children and adolescents, why don't you want to be involved in sport anymore? Some of the things that they put forward are things like, I don't really like physical activity. And, um, and also the, you know, adolescence comes with it a whole lot of changes, social changes, um, you know, cognitive changes, educational changes, 
family changes. Um, but there's also, I suppose, an amping up in other things going on in their life. So they talk about there being a lot of other commitments and it's difficult to keep up with sport. So um, I suppose what that leads us to think then is, given that we know how important sport and physical activity is in our um, both our physical health but also our mental health and well-being, uh, what are the things that we might be able to do as families and communities to help kids stick around and support sport during that kind of transition period where, where girls in particular seem to be dropping off? That line, I just don't like it, probably rings true to so many parents. Um, but like you say, yeah, there, there might be underlying factors there and a lot of your research focuses on the ways to get past that. Like what are some of the factors that actually influence kids to take up sport in the first place and then stick with it too? I think first and foremost the most important influence is, is parents wanting to get kids involved. So parents, you know, we all as parents understand the value of sport. We know the... Um, you know, the benefits and enjoyment it might have brought to our own lives growing up. And so we see that as being an important aspect of being a child growing up that you're involved in sport. So parents are that that main influence. They, they get kids involved, which is fantastic. And But then, you know, they're also, I suppose, the main influence perhaps in, in meaning that kids become less interested over time as well. So, you know, it, it does start to raise those questions of what are we doing as parents that initially helps kids get excited and enthusiastic versus what are we doing as parents that may be um, meaning their enthusiasm is, is waning and they, we get those comments like, I just don't like it anymore. I don't like physical activity. Mm. Okay, so the parent question is, where did I go wrong? <laughs> as usual. Um, but has this changed over time as well? Because I know that you were a netballer as a kid in Moranbar. And um, do you remember like what influenced you to play and maybe how does that differ to what you see playing out now on sporting fields? It's a, it's a really great question. It's something that I've I've thought about a lot and talked to my other you know friends and um, others who are around that similar age. And um, there has been, I think, you know, this is completely anecdotally, but I think there has been quite a, a shift in the level of parental involvement in sport. So I remember as a child that you know Moranbah's a small town. Um, once I got to the age of seven or eight where I could ride my bike to netball training and to netball games that's what I did mum or dad might turn up if it was a grand final uh, if we ever made it there but you know <laughs> there wasn't this kind of you know now um, there is much more involvement of parents they, they, they're getting their kids to every training and every game um, they are sticking around they're watching they're involved um, in the sort of the whole process the ups and downs of the seasons and so forth so I think there is a more hands-on approach to children's sport these days from parents you know I think that's brought both positives and potentially some you know little negatives to that as well. I guess another big change in culture since then is uh there probably weren't screens distracting you from getting on your bike and going to netball you know what about the amount of distractions that kids face now from actually getting out the door to sport yeah I think there's a lot of kind of competing um or other potentially more exciting and interesting things that kids <laughs> find more instantly gratifying and engaging. And particularly I think you know some children are naturally more physically capable. And so they find sport more enjoyable for those reasons. Um, and so those kids that may struggle a little bit and not find 
physical activity and sports something that comes so naturally to them. Um, when there's something that they can do that's perhaps a little bit more sedentary and is engaging their mind um, or their fingers when it comes to screens, then that's probably the thing that's a little bit more attractive to them and they're not, um, you know, putting themselves out there to potentially be disappointed or one of those things, again, reflecting back on my own experiences, I was not the sporty kid. I was quite the opposite. <laughs> uh-huh. I was definitely the kid who would much rather lock herself in a bedroom reading a book. But I loved going to play netball because my friends were there and that was the driver for me. And over time, I think I, you know, slowly but surely became a little bit more confident in my own body and my own skills and my own capabilities and the only way that kids can build that I suppose self-belief is if they do give it a try and if they're on screens and and those sorts of things then they're not building um you know their own personal confidence but for what they they can do themselves so you know even the sporty kids the very the vast majority of those kids are not going to be the next Olympian or the next you know NRL star or NBA star or play for the Firebirds but it's about, you know, getting them to learn, to reflect on, on what they're capable of doing and building those skills and, and building that sense of, wow, I can do this, you know, and, and hopefully, I mean, that takes time and that's sort of a long-term, you know, reward compared to the instant kind of rewards they get playing on screens or um, more inside sorts of activities. But I think it is does does become quite motivating for kids, particularly as they get older. I can imagine that a lot of the sporting codes want to really tap into that motivation. And this year um, you've partnered with the University of Queensland and the NRL and QRL for a program to encourage the parents to be positive on the sidelines um, of their kids' rugby. Now, what's prompted that initiative? So the NRL came to um, to us as colleagues. Um, we, I used to work at the Parenting Informed Family Support Centre at UQ before I came to Central Queensland University. NRL sort of came to our human movement studies, exercise science type colleagues who kind of brought us in as, as parenting and, and family um, experts, if you'd like to call us that, um, because they were facing this issue in rugby league of mass attrition of players, of junior rugby league players. And um, and that was concerning for them for a range of reasons. Um, you know, there's economic and financial reasons, of course. There's, um, you know, reasons of having a large enough pool of talent for those young people to go to the next to the next stage that's been represented in football and so forth. Um, and, but also, you know, these, the, the NRL love football. Like they love rugby league. <laughs> And they see that as, as rugby league is, you know, the it's central to um, at least Queensland and New South Wales identity, I think. It's, it's part of our kind of sporting tradition. And they were, they are still concerned um, that yeah, the rate of attrition that they were experiencing from junior sport, that rugby league would become sort of a novelty sport um, within a, a decade or two. So it wouldn't be one of the, you know, the top sports that um, children play or one of the top sports that we see on TV. So they're investigating lots of different factors, but one of their theories was what's going on with the culture of rugby league, particularly around um, parental spectator behaviour. 
and where they could see that most parent spectators are fantastic, they're enthusiastic, they're encouraging, they're doing all the right things. There is a, a, a proportion of parental spectators or other adult spectators that are potentially hostile and abusive and negative and really discouraging to children. And that's just the stuff they were seeing on the sideline. That doesn't include the stuff that might have been going on in the car ride home or, you know, sitting in front of the TV later on. So they, they really understood that to take kind of a, a multi-pronged kind of approach to this issue that it needed to include parents and families. So, yeah, big challenge, obviously, for, for the leagues and also for the researchers involved. What does the program actually look like and what advice do the parents get within the program? So we, we did a lot of work initially just to think about um, how we could make this program uh, how we could get the program to parents, first of all, and how we could make it something that they wanted to do. So, I mean, one of the things with parenting programs generally is that there is this, this sort of, I suppose, stigma attached to doing a parenting program. It's sort of the thing that you do if um, you know, your, your kid's got some kind of serious behaviour problems or you're in trouble yourself in some way as a parent. So it's sort of, you know, thought of as um, quite a potentially aversive thing to do. And, of course, we don't want that sort of message to come across. We want more of a actually, you know, this is all about what we can do you know, as parents and caregivers to support our young people to do the, the best that they, they can, and whether that's in sport or whether that's in, in, in other realms um, of their lives. So we really need to think about... Um, you know, what would the program look like um, as well as sort of the messaging and content because we didn't want it to be some expert wagging their finger at parents saying, you know, you're doing the wrong thing at your kids' games, you know, um, pull your head in kind of thing. <laughs> um, so we, we landed on doing something that would be nice and brief and like touch and, and an online um, sort of module, I suppose, that, um, that parents can access. And then there we have a series of text messages that follow from that module, which takes about 20 minutes, um, um, that kind of reinforces the messages from that and gets and checks in with parents as to how they're going with different goals and so forth that they've set. So in terms of the content, we look, I suppose, at the, the role of parents in sport and how important parents are in sport. Um, but we also look at some of the things that parents might be doing that may be um, affecting children's enjoyment of sport and also affecting whether they stick around um, in sport and in rugby league in particular. Um, so this is things like just getting parents to think about the type of, um, you know, are they ignoring good behaviour? Are they focusing straight on the negative or, or, you know, things that went wrong on the field or at the game? Um, are they being good role models themselves on the sidelines? So all those sorts of things, getting them to think about their expectations they have for their child. Do they focus too much on winning and competition versus, you know, individual um, uh, improvement and gain over time? So really getting parents to kind of, do a bit of a, a check of themselves, I suppose. So these are sorts of things I'm doing. And then we offer some um, tips and, and ideas for how parents can address that. Um, so it starts at the basics, you know, find ways to have fun as a family doing physical activity. So it doesn't need to be sport. It's finding ways to just, you know, get out there, play around in the backyard, do, because, I mean, do all sorts of things that involves physical activity because we actually know that the, that, um, people who do well at sport don't specialise early. It's actually better for kids to do a range of different sports to, to, to I suppose, Ash Barty is the prime example I always think of. You know, she's a, a champion tennis player but took a couple of seasons off to go and play women's cricket. 
Um, Amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just fantastic. <laughs> and that's, I mean, the research actually bears that out that kids are better off going and, and doing football one season and then cricket and then swimming and um, having a go at basketball or whatever it might be. Um, okay. So it starts with those simple things, enjoying physical activity together as a family um, and keeping keeping the heat, keeping the competition, keeping the drama out of it, just keeping it lighthearted. Um, to more, I suppose, uh, focused and specific things on that um, ways that parents can support their kids to have a good time playing sports. So, um, again, it's looking at how they can be a good role model on the sidelines. It's looking at um, things like um, how parents can keep check of their own emotions and expectations. You know, when they feel kind of that heat rising, what they can do to step away, take a deep breath and so forth to prevent themselves from kind of yelling and shouting. Things like trusting in the coach <laughs> and not trying to um, perhaps uh, shout out sort of um, contradictory messages because it just confuses you know everybody on the field um so just you know letting the coach do their thing even if they don't agree um so there's a whole range of I suppose you know tips and ideas that that parents can do and they're encouraged to think about the one or two things that they might be able to change and the one or two things that they can try themselves to to I suppose make those changes um, and, and it's all about here, the end goal is, um, you know, what can parents do to support their children to have a great time playing sport and to build, I suppose, that's those skills and confidence, which will hopefully mean that they they continue to, to stick around. Yeah. It sounds like everyone is a winner at the end of that process. <laughs> um, but, of course, you started this research this year and we know it hasn't been the best year for uh, sporting competitions due to the pandemic, due to the interruptions. Um, of course, that might mean that it's been a really good year for parents to be getting this advice and doing fun physical activities outside of organised sport. Um, where is the research at and what are you seeing so far in what's coming back from the participants? So far, we, we um, uh, rolled out the program in clubs in southeast Queensland, so um, Brisbane, Sunshine Coast and the Gold Coast. And, yes, you're right, there's been a couple of little hiccups along the way. It was, in fact, meant to roll out last year, but, of course, it's oh. doing it last year. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, at, at this point, parents are coming uh, community sport in Southeast Queensland is coming back online this weekend. So we've had a little bit of a, a break from um, getting text messages and that kind of thing. Um, but parents are coming to the end of that cycle of text messages and, and very soon they'll be doing um, some follow-up surveys or questionnaires for us to let us know what they thought of the program and whether it's actually changed some of those parenting behaviours related to sport we were interested in changing. Uh, but we're getting some great feedback from parents. So a lot of the text messages are designed to be interactive. Um, so um, I'm one of the, um, I suppose, narrators on the program and then um, my colleague, the founder of, of um, the parenting program, this is based on Matt Sanders, is another one of the narrators. So the text messages are always signed off with either, um, you know, Matt at Playwell, which is the program, or Cassie at Playwell. And we get these lovely text messages back saying, hi, Cassie, look, this week I tried out this and that was really great. Or, you know, hi, Cassie, this was um, a really good tip and um, my son tried out this and it was, you know, it was a really good um, experience or something. So we're getting all these lovely little um, text messages back that are 
are telling us that parents um, are engaged in the program and they see it as something useful and valuable and they're actually trying to change their behaviour, which I think is the most important um, aspect. That is incredible feedback to have and such a smart way to structure the research because I guess speaking as in parent, it can feel impossible to know you know, when you're making the right parenting choices and trying to work it out, especially when you're flooded with like what might seem like contradictory advice. So as a researcher in that field, how do you see the research generally flowing to the end users, the parents, and is the way that happened starting to shift in, um, in the research world? Absolutely. I think a couple of decades ago, when we, we we got to the point with research on, on parenting interventions and parenting programs that we knew they worked, like with the this stacks of evidence now, we know they work. But the 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 problem that we had is is essentially what you've just summarized there is how do you get these evidence-based programs to parents and families? And we know that they work for um I suppose the pointy end of the situation where there are very, you know, complex families with complex difficulties and challenges. But we also know they work for more everyday mums and dads who, um, I mean, I'm a a parent of three kids myself and I know (laughs) they they can challenge you with just, you know, run-of-the-mill disruptive behaviour, getting kids out the door in the morning or dealing with mealtimes or um, sibling rivalry is a big one in my house at the moment. Um, And so how do you, you know, how do you get that advice and support out there to, you know, like I said, the, the parents experiencing more complex difficulties, which is where that interventions tend to be directed and government campaigns and government services and all that sort of thing versus parents um, who just really just need a hand. They just need a bit of advice and, like you said, a bit of um, reassurance that these are some practical things that they can do and that they are doing something that is going to be effective. Um, so in the last, I suppose, 15 or so years, that's where parenting support has really gone is, is how do we think a little bit more um, outside the box to get this information out there. And technology has been one of the biggest areas of investigation. So how do we um, get this sort of information online? Evidence around online parenting programs is really building now. But you still have that same issue is Many of us sit at a computer all day, even more so now um, in the pandemic. And who wants to log in once you put the kids at school, log back onto your computer and sit down and do a parenting program <laughs> online when you've been, you know, so it, it's um, and, and that's what we find. If we do it in a trial, it's great because people are sort of, you know, keen about doing things in, in a research sense. But when you do it out in the real world, we have this, I suppose, computer technology fatigue ourselves and we're not so keen on, on doing it that way. So online has been the thrust of the research, but we're now also starting to realise online is just the platform. We still have those same kind of barriers and challenges of getting parents to hook into something online in the same way we had the same barriers and challenges to getting parents to come along to a group program or an individual program with a psychologist. So it's now things like how we can get more, I suppose, bite-sized chunks um, and brief light-touch support. Um, So the the NRL project is a really good example of that. A lot of the things that we talk about um, for supporting and encouraging kids in sport can be applied to other sorts of issues. Um, So it's it's finding ways to just get, you know, yeah, I suppose that's a good way of putting it, but bite-sized chunks of information to parents in contexts 
that's accessible and non-stigmatizing for them. Like sport is a really good example. Parents are going on to sport, they like sport, they were involved in this whole process. Um, and so it's a way to kind of sneakily <laughs> give them really, you know, useful and helpful advice without them kind of, you know, <laughs> realizing in a way that it has. I, I think that shows amazing insight into the parenting attention span right now. I think <laughs> Bite Size yeah. nails it. So uh, congratulations on <laughs> taking that approach. Um, back to sport, Cassie. We've mm-hmm. just had the Tokyo Olympics and Paralympics and mm-hmm. sport is probably front of mind for a lot of little kids who've been watching that and also know that Brisbane 2032 is on the horizon. For parents who are seeing their kids really excited about sport at the moment, what's your best advice for tapping into that now and maintaining it over the long term? That's a really good question. I um, think that the best thing a parent could do is to be infected by that enthusiasm themselves. We know that kids who tend to stick around in sport and tend to be involved in physical activity have parents who are involved in physical activity. And so it might not be organised sport, but they make um, they make physical activity a part of their everyday routine and lives. So I think if you can take some of that enthusiasm and, and, and <laughs> if it's possible, inject it into yourself um, and, and see that as an opportunity to, as a, as a family, say, okay, you know, we can see all these people doing all these amazing, weird and wonderful things um, in the Olympics. What can we do as a family when none of us potentially are particularly um, good at ball skills or, you know, <laughs> ball or whatever, but uh-huh. there's a whole range of other things that we've seen um, on the Olympics, like the, you know, the um, the wall climbing competition where they're going so fast, go to the local playground, find yourself one of those little rock walls and start to have competitions with each other is see if you could grow as fast as they come up those those funny little rock walls. So I think it's it's parents now um, building on that and seeing physical activity as something that is a family they do together um and that um and 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 understand the benefits for everybody so it's important for kids but of course it's important for mums and dads particularly given the situation at the moment where um you know we we need to find ways to keep ourselves mentally healthy and we know that physical activity is is fantastic for that the evidence that is just overwhelming great advice now finally cassie you're a mum of three as well as a busy academic have your research findings ever prompted you to make changes in how you parent, whether related to sport or something else? What's a, what's one change that you've made off the back of your own research? Mm, that's a really good question. I get asked that a, a lot. You know, you must be the perfect parent because you know all of this stuff. And I'm, I think I'm far from it, but I think what I have from my knowledge um, of the research area and the research I've done myself is that um, being good enough most of the time is all that kids need. You know, I'm busy and I sometimes harder myself as to, you know, working full time and perhaps not spending as much time with my kids as I would like to or not being around for them. I do think, for example, that, that you know, the role model that I'm setting for my children, particularly for my daughter, um, and how important it is for her to see my husband and I sharing the load when it comes to, um, you know, housework and childcare and all those sorts of things um, because that has positive benefits for her and her own understanding of gender roles and also for my sons to see that as well, that, you know, this isn't all just, you know, a, a woman's lot, so to speak. And I also know that I think 
when it comes to kids, it's the basics that's important. So it's consistency, it's predictability, it's routine. That's what they thrive on. That's what they need. Um, they need someone at the end of the day that um, is in is in their corner, basically, that they know that they can call on both when fantastic things happen, but also when not so fantastic things happen. So um, I, I think I've learned from this that um, from my research that it's it's just it's just getting the basics right and knowing that if you have a rubbish day and you you, you yell or you lose your temper um, to be kind to yourself and just go okay I'm going to do better tomorrow <laughs> um, let's try again what can I do a bit differently I think I know I was feeling stressed out because of work or you know it was the 14th tantrum in a row and I couldn't go <laughs> anymore it's it's learning to look after yourself and be kind to yourself and and taking a step back as well. Dr. Cassie Dittman there. And amazing to know she is doing the research and living the research on how we can all be more positive parents. You can find out more about her rugby league project by searching Play Well Triple P Research. And you can get more updates on her Twitter. She's at Cassie Dittman. That's C-A-S-S-Y. D-I-T-T-M-A-N. Next week, a research project that connects Indigenous languages with improving health and well-being for First Nations communities. Every language has its absolute fascination. But what I find fascinating about all First Nation languages is their connectedness to country is incredibly, not just fascinating, but also important for people to survive in this era of uncertainty and globalization because it gives them something to hang on to. Look for that episode with Dr. Alexandra Eichenwald next Monday and make sure you're following CQ University podcast wherever you listen to get your latest episode every week. Thanks for listening to Impact Research Podcast from CQ University where research makes real impact.